Welcome to Tips from the Server Room. This podcast is designed for all you systems admins, network specialists, or the guys and gals out there in the office who handles it all. Sit back, relax, grab a beverage, and enjoy Tips from the Server Room. Hey everybody, welcome back once again to Tips from the Server Room. This is episode number 109 for March the 28th, 2016. I'm your host, Jack. I'm here to guide you into, through, and back out of the world of systems administration, network administration, and all fields of IT. This show is a proud member of the Tech Podcast. If it's tech, it's here. Check out all the great tech shows at techpodcast.com. Learning how to be a server administrator is not hard at all if you use one of my online courses. Learn Windows Server 2008 R2, Windows Server 2012 R2, as well as VMware ESXi 5.5 Server. Go to tipsfromtheserverroom.com, click on the online class link at the top of the page to get started in your future today. All courses are self-paced. You just simply watch the videos, go through it. Once you finish the course, I will email you a certificate. So check that out at tipsfromtheserverroom.com. Please check out our website at tipsfromtheserverroom.com where you can comment on these shows. You can also leave me a voice message at 724-701-0550. If you have any questions or ideas for future shows, please email me, and that is at jackstechcorner, jackstechcorner at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter and as at Technoman. Hey folks, sorry, you know, day-to-day life uh, sometimes impedes the uh, process of podcasting and creating podcasts for you guys out there and girls listening to the show. Um, And, and, you know, things happen. Recently, I had some uh, knee surgery and my wife actually helped me out by uh, helping me set up a portable studio here in the kitchen because I cannot get to the upstairs studio. Uh, I just can't walk those stairs uh, as of yet, so... Uh, eventually we'll be back in the studio, but we'll do okay here. Uh, so we're recording this today for you on a Rode Podcaster uh, microphone, uh, just a USB mic straight into the computer. So hopefully everything works out the way that it should. And we can continue on uh, with these shows and be able to uh, get this out there to you. So let's see how today's show will go. Today we're going to be talking about IP addressing and assigning IP addresses to your gear. How many IPs are too many? Well, initially when I took over my current role, uh, you know, I work in education. Uh, When I first walked in and I started digging around the IP scheme, trying to figure out, you know, what was set up previously from the previous person that was there and uh, how it was initiated and how it was set up. I started to realize very quickly that it was a uh, A network, a class A network. So a class A network, as you know, is a lot of IP addresses. Uh, it is actually, I'm uh, just uh, double checking here, um, somewhere in the means of, it looks like 16, um, I think, and we'll go, geez, 16,777,214. So if that's the case, if I got that number correctly, and it looks like I do, um, that is too many IP addresses to manage. It's just too, too broad of a scope. So, you know, you got to narrow that down a little bit and be able to get your IP addresses uh, more under control. And it's been taking me years to successfully do this. 
And the reason is obvious reasons. Uh, your servers are already IP addressed. Uh, your, you know, uh, your firewall may be uh, addressed already to map to your outside IP addresses. And when you do this stuff, you know, it's very hard and very time consuming. A lot of man hours goes involved in it to get in there and actually uh, work that uh, those addresses out, rework your schemes and figure out what IP addressing will work for you. And I'm going to tell you in a moment here what we actually been working on. Uh, you know we've been working on VLANing, and I'm going to tell you how the IP structures have changed just with that scope and being able to VLAN something and uh, being able to get a better grasp of actually subnetting down the IP addresses so you have a more manageable and, and a tolerated type of an IP structure. Uh, it's, it's easier to find things on your network when you're looking for them. It's easier to place things on your network and know what you want to place them at, and, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. Now, is there any reason why you would want more IPs than you need? Well, naturally there is. There is uh, obvious reasons. You don't know how large your network's going to grow. Uh, the overall growth of a network, and I think when the gentleman first did our network uh, and he put the Class A uh, IPs up, I think that was because he had a vision that schools are going to change. Look at schools today, and I'll tell you in a minute how much we have changed, but but look at schools today and how many IP addresses are, are being used, uh, let's say from 10 years ago, even five years ago. The changes are just amazing how many different IPs you need because of the equipment and the gear coming into the school districts. So schools, now not so much the corporate world. If you have, let's say you're, you're managing and you're being a consultant for a law firm. Uh, I, like to, I like law firms because they're, they're very structured and they know pretty precisely how many partners are going to have they know pretty precisely what's coming in and there, there is i guess a reason something that could happen i'll tell you about that 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 could change that structure but you can pretty much sit down and draw out your ip scheme and say look we need we need a class c we need a class b network uh, to run all these different uh, items because let's face it i would say um eight years ago maybe you know we didn't really see the influx of IP printers coming in. So now you have these printers coming in that you're giving IP addresses to. Uh, what about security cameras coming into your network? Security cameras are the same thing. You're starting to build onto your network things that you didn't see 10 years, 10 years ago. So yeah, the Class A network probably made sense because he didn't know what was coming, but it got way out of control and way out of hand because everything that gets plugged in your network then just gets a 10.16 address and, and just it works. Obviously, it works well, but there's so much data collision going on in the network then because you have all these IP addresses trying to communicate. They're either broadcasting uh, broadcast traffic, you know, that's unicasting traffic. There's all this different traffic. Printers talk all day long. We've seen that. We've ran, um, we've ran Wireshark, and we watched the printers communicating all day, and they're communicating with devices saying, hey, do you have anything coming? Do you have any print jobs coming over here? Do you have anything coming to me? And when you do that, it, it just makes a lot of traffic on your network. So you got to be very, very careful with that. So yes, there is times you're going to want more IPs than what you need presently. I mean, that's pretty much always the case. So when you do that, and, and the reason you're doing that, look today, and I, and I always pick on education because I know that probably the best. Education very much, a lot of schools out there started what was called BYOD. That was the big catchphrase probably about three or four years ago. Uh, and we got on the bus, I think, two years ago. 
And BYOD is just that. It's bring your own device. So the student body, the teachers, everybody, uh, administration, brings their own device in, their own cell phones or tablets or laptops, and, and we allow them on the wireless network. When you do that, what's going to happen is you have to make sure you have enough IP addresses to support all those folks and all that new gear coming in. That's not gear you own. That's gear that somebody else's owns. Um, you know, it's it's very much a non-commercial, you know, piece of gear. It's not made to be in the commercial network, but we bring them in, they get an IP address, and they get on the internet, and, and it works out really, really well. Then you got to think about what new gear is a school or your office or your business office or wherever you might be consulting with, what's, what are they going to be bringing in and placing on your network? Or what are they going to call you up and say, hey, uh, Joe Bob consultant uh, of Joe Bob's computer company, can you come in? We got these new, you know, we got five new printers. Well, if you set them up and, and you gave them, let's say, 12 IP addresses or 16 IP addresses, whatever the octave is, that's going to... That's going to drastically cut that down, and, and you're not going to have the uh, enough IP addresses to fulfill their needs. So then you're going to be doing some subnetting. So subnetting IP addresses to gain better control of your traffic. This is where we're at today, and this is what we're doing today based on um, all everything around us and being able to um, bring together a network, but allowing us to subnet the traffic down to the point where it's very manageable. We know now, if you have a certain IP address, we know what VLAN you're on. We can go back and we know where you're plugged into on one of our Cisco switches. And we know exactly where your traffic is going to be allowed to go and where it's not allowed to go. That is the, the glory, I guess, of having the IP subnetting. That's what you want to be able to do. So you want to be able to subnet your traffic down to gain better control of your traffic okay so subnet your ips out to gain better control of your traffic once you get good control of your traffic then you can start doing things like acls or access control lists on your switches on your core switch so an access control list is just that it controls access to certain parts of your network and denies access to certain parts of that network either way it either gains access or denies access this is very important anytime you're going to set up a, a network. Now, I'm not talking about one of these networks, and, and you know, you've heard me talk about this in the past. We're not talking one of these networks. So I used to work for a, I was a consultant for one doctor's office. Uh, they went some kind of corporate structure now, so they changed. The, they actually have a corporate computer company now that actually uh, that owns the doctor's office or something. So I no longer am a consultant there, but when I was, it was very easy to gain the overall control of that network because there was about um, uh, probably when I started six devices, you know, computers, there was like five desktops and maybe one server. But by the time I left, they started getting into what's called um, electronic record keeping or electronic billing, one or the other, whichever way you want to look at that. And when they did that, they started introducing tablets. So they brought tablets in, and we had to get those up on the network and get those to communicate over the Internet. Now, we could talk about cloud-based services until I'm blue in the face and until you're tired of listening to it. And cloud-based services, as we know, is the catchphrase today. But whenever you have a cloud-based service, people don't understand. If you don't have enough Internet speed, that cloud-based service is going to really, really suffer 
and more so I think the end user is really going to suffer on the backside because they're not going to have the speed they need to give them a really good end user experience. So no matter, like your network is clipping away and their network was just fine. Everything inside was communicating. Everything was very, very fast to their servers. So I knew my internal network was set up really, really well. But that cloud-based medical billing system, just they, their internet that they were, they were able to, uh, to purchase wasn't fast enough to support the tablets. So the doctors were getting very, very upset because every time they go to do uh, charting or anything, or the nurses would do charting, it would hang up in between different parts of, of, of the chart. And they were claiming that, well, the network, there's something wrong with the network. And there's not. The network was fine. We tested the network. The network communicates back to the server very well. Uh, everything in-house works extremely well. So what I did was I contacted the medical billing company and I said, hey, look, um, here's what we're thinking. Is there a way that instead of doing this uh, cloud-based, can we do this uh, locally? Can, do you have a program we can put on a server in their office and have them do everything on the server and then at night have that data uh, get uploaded or during the day have it sync, whatever you want to do there, uh, where the speed wouldn't interfere with them charting, but being able to overall communicate with the internet and, and do that later on. And, uh, and they did, and that worked out really, really well. So in the idea of IP subnetting and why did I get to that cloud-based system was very simply, very, very simply was, it showed us that we now brought something else into our network that we weren't expecting to have, right? We, were, we brought in a medical billing server uh, that we had to give it an IP address. We had to set up routing for it to route outside. And when we did that, it worked out well because, like I said, it uploaded at night and synced all their files up. So they were actually um, backing up in the cloud, uh, so to speak. So that worked out really, really well. So let's talk a little bit about classes of IP addresses. And when we start IP addressing out, and I have to admit to you, I'm not the biggest person in the world that likes to sit down. I mean, I can do it with a calculator and, and you calculate out your, your IP addresses and your subnets and do all that. But with the invention of something called the internet, it gives us the ability, uh, and somebody created a very, very great, great website. It is called subnet-calculator.com. Once again, subnet-calculator.com. And it's an IP subnet calculator online. We absolutely love this tool. It's free to use. And it gives you a way to understand IP subnetting. Even if you're not doing subnetting right now, use this tool and go in there and learn about IP addresses. Learn how to subnet down and learn what you could do to make it easy on yourself to set up subnets. So as I just told you, a class A network, um, we're talking a class A network with a subnet mask of 255.0.0.0. We know, or most of us know, or if you don't know, the subnet mask is what determines how many hosts you have per subnet. So if that's the case, then that's where we have the 16,777,214 hosts for our subnet. Now, if that sounds unmanageable to you, well, then congratulations. You've, you've won this part of the podcast because it's very, very unmanageable to have that many. I did. I used to have that many, and I know that that is a ton of IP addresses. What also happens when you have that many addresses is you start to get very, very sloppy. 
uh, I've seen, I've walked into places to work, um, not even just as a consultant, I've walked in and they said, hey, look at our server, something's wrong. Uh, the IP addresses don't seem to be, well, they don't say that. Uh, something, something new on the network doesn't seem to be getting on the internet. I don't quite understand. So the first place I like to go look, I said, look, do you have your own server? Yeah, we do. It's back here, you know, under all the books and dirt and dust. And it's, you know, pushed back in the thing. It, it's about 997,000 degrees in there um, because people don't understand that that server is your lifeblood, right, of your network. That's all right. So I get in there and I start poking around. The first thing I like to do is pull up their DHCP to see where is the DHCP handing out. Is it going through the router? Some people do that nowadays. Or hopefully it was an old timer or somebody that's been around computers for a while that set up on the server. So we look and we say, hey, I see here the, the IP address scheme on your DHCP server is set to, let's say, uh, let's say a class C. Okay. Let's say a class C network, which would be okay because there's 254 addresses. But somebody decided that they were going to play around a little bit and they were going to cut that down to a, a, to a subnet mask of 255.255.255.240. And when they did that, what they did was they essentially cut the IPs down to 14 uh, subnet hosts, 14 devices on your network. Now, when, when that happened, what, what they were thinking was, and, and I understand what they're thinking, the, the thinking behind that is we can keep it secure just by simply uh, limiting the number of IP addresses. So if we only have 14 and we only have 14 devices, then we're okay. Well, the trick was here, it, that really was the case. They had 14, they had 14 devices in the office, so everything was working fine. The printers, they took the printers and they subnetted, they uh, static those in. They gave them a static IP address, which is fine on a printer because you never want that to change. If your printers don't have a static IP address on, I would suggest you start working out some ideas to go put static addresses on those. Because the event of a power failure or a reboot of that printer for any reason can pick up a new address from the DHCP server. So I'm looking at their DHCP server and I'm looking at their scope and I'm saying, wow, let's take a look here. And I started digging around a little bit and I found... Now, believe it or not, I looked and I said, why is this in this time? Um, you know, there's a time, I think it's a, a TTL, a time to lease. So how long are you going to let that IP address hang out there on a device? Well, their time to lease was something like eight or nine days. Okay. So what happens in eight and nine days is if a visiting doctor comes in or a visiting person comes in, maybe a salesperson comes in and just jumps on your wireless, picks up one of your IP addresses, because face it, okay, there's only 14, there's 14 devices. Wonder if uh, Julie and Sandy is not working today, so their computers are turned off. Um, okay, if it's nine days, they should retain the IP address, but let's just say, for instance, that the IP address is free. And the, the salesperson, the, the drug rep, takes the IP address. So he takes the IP address and he kind of takes that with him because it's waiting for him to come back for eight or nine days. Maybe maybe Julie and Sandy was on vacation. Maybe they went away for two weeks uh, and their computers have been off for two weeks, whatever. So they come back from vacation and now their computer won't get on the network. And, and you look and you wonder, why is that? The reason that is, is very simply because the IP address that they had, because they're not static on their computers, which is fine. The IP address that they had was actually handed out to that sales rep and 
It's, it's waiting for him or her to come back. So that's why you got to be very, very careful. So I went in, I, um, I changed the TTL, the time to lease, and I changed that back down. I don't like it to be any more than one day. One day seems relatively, uh, you know, a fair time for me. And then you don't have a bunch of IP addresses hanging out there for people maybe may or may not be coming in and out of your network, whatever that looks like. But the TTL should be turned down to one day. Also, you don't subnet. If you have 14 devices, don't subnet 14 addresses. Okay. It's not a good security feature. Do something like a .224, which would give you 30 hosts. So you're going to double, at least double. Don't get it unmanageable because if you go up and you start doing a dot .192, you're getting to 62 hosts. So you don't want to make it too absurd or too crazy, but you want to be able to uh, set those addresses up and make sure that they're manageable and make sure that they're usable. But give yourself enough lead room where you're not going to get a lot of phone calls in the afternoon of somebody going, why can't I get on the network? If somebody's saying, why can't you get on the network? The first thing you should do is sit at their computer. And if they have a Mac, bring up, bring up terminal, or if they have a PC, bring up, you know, um, a, a command prompt. And the first thing we do is type IP config space slash all. And you look at that and say, huh, they have an internal IP address. If you see a one six nine something, the computer is handing itself an address because it can't, it doesn't know any better. It can't find anything to be usable. So do an IP config slash release. And then once that's finished up, do an IP config slash renew. And then renew it and see then if you pick up an IP address from your DHCP server. If not, go through the previous steps we just talked about and then come back and do it all again. Until, until you get a usable IP address that the computer will then function on the network. Then I think you will be just fine. Let's go back out here. So how the NetMask will affect the number of IP addresses you're using, we just talked about that. And the best thing to do is to use uh, subnet-calculator.com. Bookmark that site. You'll be very, very happy that you did, and it works really, really well. So let's talk about, this is something that I did some years ago, and I was kind of <laughs> laughed at by the networking community, I guess, maybe that was the case. I don't know. I told my partner at work, this is what I do. This is the way I earn my living is um, I look at a problem and we look for a solution that is uh, like, and I hate using this terminology, but outside of the box. You know, we all learn out of books. We all learn the proper way to do things. Uh, we all learn the proper way things should work. But at times, they may not work as well as you want them to, unless you can think outside the box. And if you're a network administrator, you have to use your tools. The largest tool in your tool belt or in your software bag or anywhere else is your mind. you got to let your mind escape and let it look at possibilities that aren't normal that other people don't do and say, will it work? I mean... Why not? If it's not working, you can't break it any more than it is, so try to fix it up. So what we're talking about here is multiple NATs and globals on your firewall to increase the flow of your internet traffic by opening more paths to the data flow. We have done this for the past, I think I started this five years ago, and the reason was we would get on the internet at that time 
And using one NAT, they always tell you use one global outside address and set up your NAT perimeters. Uh, you set up your whole bank of IP addresses. So we have a class A going to one address outside. Well, my boss at the time was calling me up and said, look, he said, look, uh, Jack, you got to fix this. The internet's running so slow, he couldn't, couldn't pull up a news site uh, to read the daily news or whatever on a website. And you got to fix this. So I went home. I started pounding my head against the wall. I started looking up different things on the internet. How can I fix this? What can I do? And luckily it was a Friday, so I had the weekend to think about it. And, you know, I came up with an unconventional way of doing something very conventional. What I did was I subnetted all of the addresses that we were using. In our DHCP server, remember now, we have a Class A network. But we weren't using all of the Class A IP addresses on a DHCP server. So I started subnetting those down to Class C banks. And then I went on to my firewall and I said, look, I took, at the time, I don't know what it was, six global outside addresses. So if you don't know what a global address is, a global address is any address that could be routed on the internet. It's, it's one of the IP addresses made to put stuff on the internet. We can't give everything a global address on our network because it would cost you about $10 million today to buy all those IP addresses. Plus, on top of that, it's going to uh, create a, a huge, huge hole in your network and allow hackers to get right to your computers on your desktops. You see, you don't want to do that. So we NAT everything. We give inside addresses or inside IP addresses, non-routables, to our devices. And we, use, and we attach it to a global address on the outside. So what I did was unconventionally, and I had a, a female working for me or with me at the time, and I sat and we kicked this around a little bit. I said, do you think it'll work? And she said, I don't know. She said, it's way outside the box, Jack. She said, your mind doesn't work like a lot of ours. And uh, probably thank, thank goodness for that. So, she, so I wrote it on paper. We sat down. I drew all this out on paper. I said, why wouldn't it work? It just made total sense to me that if I can take a class C network and put it to one global, the next class C network, put it to a global, the next class C. What I did was essentially I opened up more virtual paths on that firewall to allow our internet traffic in and out to flow. So on Monday morning, we got to work about 6 o'clock. We went in really, really early because I couldn't wait to program the firewall with all this uh, after talking to her uh, on the phone and then, you know, kind of meeting here and there to, to get these plans set out. So I think it was Monday. It might have been Tuesday morning. Anyway, <coughs> excuse me. Right after that, after we got all set up and running, my boss called me up and he said, you know, Jack, I should give you a, you know, a $25,000 raise. Um, of course, he couldn't because we work on tax money, but he said, you deserve it. He said, your brilliance of whatever you did. He said, did you get a new internet provider or did you get more speed? I said, no, I just took the speed we had and I made it more uh, valuable. And I took the speed we had and I made it more usable uh, based on different IP structure. He said, well, that's good. Whatever that means. Thank you very much. You did a wonderful, wonderful job and everything is now working. So that is the key. You have to make it work and you can't always be conventional. So get your head out of the books all the time, get your mind working. And believe me, like I said earlier, not everybody's mind works like mine, like my mind. And my wife will tell you on that note, thank God, because Jack's mind is, is a very interesting place indeed uh, to be, especially when it comes to computers, because I've always worked on the mindset of 
You know, you don't have to just stick with what's written. You have to let your mind flow. I mean, just think if think back a little bit, and you know, with history, with Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, uh, you know, uh, Wozniak, uh, all those guys, if they would have just always looked at stuff and said, well. All computers should have tubes in it because that's what the TVs have. No, they started designing microcircuitry and microboards and circuit boards and started to build a personal computer that everybody can use. If they didn't, if their minds didn't work that way, where would we be today? You think about that a little bit. So hopefully I think, I hope, I whatever, think, hope. I, I hope you got something out of today's show here. I'm sorry, like I said, I haven't been around for a while. I'm going to be producing these shows more on a regular basis once again. So stick with me. I see a lot of people out there listening. You know, when you when you see, you know, thousands of downloads each week, it makes you really uh, feel that you've completed something, that you're giving something back to the community. That's why I started this podcast so long ago was to give something back. Uh, I'm not, you know, charging anybody to listen to this thing. You know, it's just out there. It's free to pick up and download whenever you feel like doing so. Um, you know, and I think that's it. I think we're trying to trying to make more of a global reach with it, uh, with it being on iTunes for so long, uh, with it being on the uh, Tech Podcast Network, and, you know, just trying to expand the reach of the podcast. But you can do your part. You can help me out. And I hope that you do. And I know every podcaster out there asked you for this, but I do have an Amazon link. If you go to tipsfromtheserveroom.com, there is an Amazon link there. If you buy anything from Amazon, I mean from a pack of gum, car wax to uh, uh, an airplane. Can you buy an airplane on Amazon? Maybe not. You get the idea. Go to tipsfromtheserveroom.com and use my link for Amazon. Make sure you deactivate your ad blocker techies out there. I know the techies in the world say, hey, I got I got ad blocker. I don't see your ads. Of course you don't. Deactivate your ad blocker. Take care, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me here and listening to Tips from the Server Room. And like I said, I want to get these back onto regular track once again. Take care, and I'll talk to you next time on Tips from the Server Room. Bye-bye for now, everybody. You just listened to Tips from the Server Room with your host, Jack. If you have any questions, please drop me a comment at tipsfromtheserverroom.com. Thanks again for tuning in and downloading the shows. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the remainder of the music. We'll see you next week on Tips from the Server Room. So long. <laughs>